This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Everybody to plainly down a rabbit hole. My name's Jane Pierce, and I'm here with Lou. Hello, Hi. everyone. Hi, Lou. It's been a while since we've been here, hasn't it? It has been. Big long break. Yes. And we've got nothing interesting to say about the break <laughs> that we've had. <laughs> and so, um, let's crack on into it then. Yes. the The topic for this podcast is going to be about how our brain gets it wrong about ourselves, our past, how we react in the moment, and how we get things wrong, I suppose, even about the future. But we'll kind of come to that. It's very tempting to think that everything that we remember of experiencing is accurate. I tried to do a quick crash course on things about memory, And I spent quite a lot of time trying to learn this. And all I came away with, really, was to say it's complicated and I don't understand it um, because it is so complicated. And uh, and anyway, nobody understands all of it because it's the brain and, and there's still lots and lots of research to be done into the workings of our brains. But I have got a few things to say about... Well, memories and how we get memories wrong. So shall I crack on with that? Crack on, Jay. And and then we'll have a piece of music. So let's talk a bit, bit about memories and how we get them wrong. The first thing to say, though, is that uh, there are three aids to having memories. And the three are emotions, how emotional um, a given event is. Uh, the more emotional it's, it um, affects us, the more we will remember. I thought that, yep. Yeah, I think it's fairly obvious, really, isn't it? We don't yeah. remember the last time we went shopping or something because it just didn't gel. Mundane, boring. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so that that's fairly obvious. The next one, I think, is perhaps a bit surprising, and that's the link that has uh, been found by researchers to the importance of place in our memories so we incorporate place in order to remember stuff um, and, and, and I'll talk a bit more about the importance of place a little later on but uh, just keep that in mind that, that place is important um, and the, the final thing is that we remember much better if there is a story associated with uh, whatever we're trying to remember For example, there was some research done where a list of words was given to a bunch of people and I can't remember all the conditions, but after X amount of time not looking at the list, they then had to write down as many as they could remember. And they would get under 20% of the um, items listed. Then they'd try it, but this time 
participants in the experiment got a, a, a list of words, but this time they were asked to put it into a story and all other conditions were the same. But when they came back to give the list of these words, they got a much better, hugely better, I mean four times better, uh, the result. Um, and that's because people, of course, recounted the story and, uh, and then could remember them. Well, let's pause for a moment and listen to some music. This is Enigma with TNT for the brain.
yeah, so there's these um, emotions, place, and storytelling. Those are the three main aids to assist assist our memories. Did you have some the statistics of how often we get it wrong? Our memories. Yes. Well, here's an interesting thing. That there's been quite a lot of research done uh, since the 9/11 terror attacks in the states, because for well, for everybody in the world really, but certainly for Americans and even more obviously for the people in New York City, everybody remembers that it's such a momentous event. Yes. So that's given the opportunity for researchers into memory to see how memories work in those situations. Now, so one thing that they did was they got um, a load of people who had been in New York City, been in on Manhattan Island, actually, at the time of the attacks, and divided them up into two lots. There was, there was the people who were in midtown uh, Manhattan, and then there was the other half were much closer to the World Trade Center. And and just to see, I think it was about three years after the attacks or something, about the detail of what happened to them. And it was much more it, the closer you got, because that's the emotional part mm. of it. Uh, you must have felt much more threat of your own life and and uh, and scared. And but what they also found, I thought this was. I, I mean, I, I can kind of understand if you're more emotionally affected. Yes, we get that. Mm. But the interesting thing that they, I don't think, expected to find was that the deterioration in memory for just everyday kind of life experience and something that's well, not everyday life experience because we forget an awful lot of that. But just, <laughs> thankfully, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, it, it's hell on earth. There are people that remember everything. Yeah, yeah, literally everything, and it, and it's a disability. It, yes, but um, yeah, for just stuff that normally you would kind of remember against something as momentous and emotionally uh, poignant as the seven eleven attacks, that the deterioration in uh, memory is actually about the same, mm. which I, I don't. I think that must have been a surprise for researchers and it's certainly a surprise to me. But there you are. That's, you know, one it, thing that I, I was thinking here is when there is a huge event in my life, for instance, childbirth for my two children, I don't remember a lot with regards to my boy who was a C-section it's fascinating that it's such an important moment in my life. But you're saying that even if it isn't an important moment in your life, that the the loss of that memory still is the same as most other things. Yes, I mean you will re- you'll have a better chance of remembering it if you've got all these emotions play story yeah. attached to it. Yeah. But all the same, the deterioration still happens, and and it's at much the same rate. So you mentioned the uh, statistics. This is, I mean, we all know this, but this is the actual stats here to to get your head around it, how vital this is. While, say, for example, emotion aids memory, it also distorts memory. Yeah. So the reason that happens is because supposing you are a witness to a bank robbery, which is potentially violent, the criminals are carrying guns. You will naturally zero in on the most emotionally provoking part of that incident, which is likely to be the gun. But then when you're asked, well, which criminal was carrying the gun, can you give in a description? That's when it can start to get really fuzzy 
because your emotional self has zeroed in on the gun yeah. and not these other aspects that are important to the investigation, absolutely. But from the point of view of your experience, it was the gun mm. <laughs> that was all important during the incident. So it, it does distort things. Mm. Now, in because this is really important, talking about um, the implications of how our brains work vis-a-vis -vis memory and the criminal justice system. And we all know that eyewitness accounts, while they sound very convincing, because their story... And they mm. elicit in the listener emotional connection. So, of course, they, they sound so convincing. But since the introduction of DNA testing, various cases have been investigated further with this new evidence. And these stats come out of America. But out of all of the people that have had their convictions quashed because they've been found through DNA to be innocent... Out of all those cases, a staggering 70% of them had been found guilty primarily on the evidence of eyewitnesses. Yeah. It even goes down to um, the school playground, you know, having two kids at school and you hear one kid's account of a situation and you certainly want to hear the other child's account of the same situation because uh, they're often quite different. You know, it's it's right down to the basics. Well, that's not just in the playground, is it? I mean, that's... That's all across. Yeah, yeah. We all but we that. know it, don't we? When it comes to the playground, if, if one child says one thing, we don't necessarily take it as factual. Yeah, Whereas sure. we presume that as we get older, there is not that mm. disparity, mm. but there is. Yes. Not only are the memories can be, you know, skewed, but, of course, we lied. <laughs> I don't. But, um, <laughs> if, I, if I'm telling a, an untruth there about me never lying, let God strike me down. Oh, Jane. <laughs> See? <laughs> You're stirring the pot today, aren't you? <laughs> That'll probably get cut. Yeah. <laughs> Strange, isn't it? We really need to do a program about atheism, agnosticism, or whatever. Yes. Um, actually, we really must. That would be quite interesting. That anyway, would be quite fun. Um, yeah. Well, let's take another pause in the conversation for a piece of music. This is Joe Dukey and Eva B with No Memory of Time. You know it's been a while since I've seen you I lost count of how many days it's been But when I'm with you once again Those days won't mean a thing Shadows on the ground keep on reaching And the leaves of summer bloom are all around I'll be walking through your dreams when you sleep at night Keep the fires burning bright Would you wait for me? Say the place for me How deep is your faith in love? Would you lie for me? Hold the line for me How deep is your faith in love? 
deep is your faith in love? Would you lie for me? How deep is your faith in As I said, you know, even with something as momentous uh, an event as, you know, something like 9-11, we still do lose um, bits of memories of the event. Um, 
no matter how traumatic or non-traumatic it might be, we still do. And it's important that the brain does this. You'd think it was a design fault, you know. God got that wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But it turns out, uh, actually, God's much cleverer than that, um, that it's not a design fault. There's a good reason for us doing this, of, of losing certain amounts of memories. But then we fill them in. So what do we fill those gaps in? Because we don't like cognitive dissonance. We don't like feeling that we don't really remember. So we just fill it in. We don't even know we're doing this, by the way. It's not like we're lying, not doing it deliberately. It just gets filled. Any gaps get filled in. And they get filled in with stuff that we already know. Because, of course, memory, there's lots of different sorts of memories. Um, uh, We're really discussing today about autobiographical yeah. Uh, memory, you know, of our, our own lives. Um, but of course, there's memories as well about how to ride a bike or sure. um, what's the capital of Australia or, or something like that. So we, we have all this other information and uh, that's the stuff that our brain decides, oh, we'll just get a bit of this, get a bit of that. So yeah, one, one example um, is a young woman. I think she was kind of late teenagers when 9-11 happened and when she recounted her memories of that day she imagined herself in uh, a house that she had lived in in New York City and that she was looking out out of the window and there was the river probably the Hudson or something and, and then gradually all this smoke came from the direction of the Twin Towers and she could hardly see the river. Turns out that talking to her parents at some point, they said, well, that can't be right at all. Um, first of all, you know, we all know the date of, um, of the incident. Well, you'd already left New York. You weren't even living in the city. So you couldn't have been in that, in that house. And even if you had been in that place, if you think there was no window that overlooked the river and also the smoke that you remember actually it didn't go in that direction anyway it went in the opposite direction so there's three things there that are completely wrong with that woman's memory of the day and what she had done is fill it in with other stuff that she already knew so she had lived in New York so she filled it in she was back in New York she probably was remembering her mother's account of the day and her mother was in New York City in an office that overlooked the river and well there was pictures of smoke all over the news so it's quite easy to see how this young woman had filled in all those gaps completely unknowingly uh, into a story that made absolute sense but it was wrong um, so we do this all the time. It's not just with emotional stuff. We, we do it all the time and we're not aware that we're doing it. Mm. So why does the brain do that? Is it a design fault? Well, it seems it probably isn't. We make good use of this. There is a reason why we do this. So, and, and this is the um, hypothesis and possibly a bit more than a hypothesis. But um, so what's happening is that if you do scans of people 
who haven't got a particular task to do, but are just letting their minds wander. And human beings spend a lot of their time in this state of just letting their minds wander. And when you look at what is happening inside their brains when they're mind wandering, they go between thinking about their autobiographical past and their possible future. They dive between the two backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. And it seems that this is extremely important for two major reasons. One is that we create a vision of our future, we plan based on our history, what's worked before. So for example, if I'm thinking it would be really nice to go out for a meal with a friend, I've got to remember who my friends are. <laughs> Lou? No, no. Never, never heard of her. <laughs> and then I've got to remember that I really like a good curry. It, but if I don't remember who Lou is, and if I don't remember that I like curries... And you get some random going to some random yes. place. <laughs> You'd still probably like it. <laughs> it's vital in preparing for the future. But the other thing is that if you have no past, you have no individuality. I'd like to express, uh, uh, look into that one further. That's a very broad and... Um, I don't quite, I haven't unpicked that. Well, neither Lou nor I were surprised that there's so much to talk about, we couldn't possibly cram it all in. So we've decided to make this the first of a two-parter. We will return to this subject in four weeks' time. But I'll be back in two weeks with another, plainly a music rabbit hole. So, thanks, Lou. Thank you, Jane. Um, Great to see you. Cool. Spot you next time. Spot you next time. What does that mean? Bye. (laughs) Spot you next time. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you said? Yeah. What does it mean? I'll see you later. Ah. It kind of infers in my head. If I spot you before you spot me, I'm fucking off. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, look, I said that's, a rude word. That's what, I absolutely that's... dread doing that and not, not bleeping it or something. Okay. Doesn't matter. Bye, Jane. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.